Philemon is an interesting book. Today, I want to set the stage with this book, and I want to tell you that today is going to be a little bit more of an academic exercise where we are going to establish culture and context for where we will be heading throughout this series, Beyond Borders. Philemon is the third shortest book in the entire 66 books of the Bible. It comes in with the original language at just 335 words. Philemon is a letter that the Apostle Paul, along with his partner in ministry, Timothy, write to a man, to his family, and to the local church. What I want to do is I want to read the first seven verses in the narrative this morning. It's going to help set the stage for where we're headed, and then we're going to come back and we're going to study each one of these verses individually. Here is the word of the Lord, Philemon. There is only one chapter, so we don't say chapter one, although if it's helpful to you, chapter one. Philemon 1 through 7. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Apphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and as you experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Paul, throughout the course of his life, will take four missionary journeys, and he will establish the work of the local church on these missionary journeys. It's believed that on his third missionary journey in Asia Minor, near the region of Galilee, he comes across this community in Colossae. In particular, he comes across a man named Philemon who, through their interactions, will give his life to Jesus. He'll become a follower of Jesus, or what they were known at that time as the followers of the way. Philemon and his house will be saved, and Philemon appears to be a wealthy landowner, who is particularly generous. He opens his house so that all of the followers of the way in that community, as the church is becoming established and as it's growing, have a place to meet. Christians, as it were, didn't have a building that was unique for them. Those who continue to practice Judaism could meet in the synagogue and the temple. But Christians, those early adopters of the faith, had no place to meet per se, and so they would establish these house churches, and they would come together individually, but they would also gather collectively for corporate times of worship, which is where we get the footprint for why we do what we do on Sundays. Our hope is that every one of you, that each one of us is involved in a life group where we experience life and ministry together in the context of community in local homes throughout the week. If you are not in a life group, I want to encourage you to get invested in one. You can find out more about our life groups by going to our Connection Center after the Worship Center or filling out our Connections card, which I wanted to point to your attention. We've got brand new Connection cards today. This Connection card is a great way for you to fill out and let us know what your needs are. Let us know that you're here. Let us know that you're visiting. And if you are a visitor, we want to welcome you. We would love for you to go to our Connection Center after the service and drop this off. But this is a great place for you to let them know that you would like to get involved and invested in a life group. Paul is... 
after his third missionary journey, he's in prison now in Rome. And in Rome, he'll have people like Timothy that will come and that will attend his side. They will meet his physical needs. They will encourage him in his spiritual needs. They will pray with him. But they also serve not only as Paul's companion, but as a workman in the ministry. They'll take Paul's letters to the local churches and they'll hand them to the leaders of the local communities and the congregations to be read. Timothy is one of those who he adopts early on in his faith. Timothy grows up in the knowledge of God because of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. They had a faith that he understood, but he adopts his own faith under Paul's ministry. And he grows in his faith and he grows in his stature. He grows in his stature not only as a man of God, but as a leader in the community, in the church. He'll go on to pastor the church in Ephesus. Paul will go on to write two letters to Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy. And he'll go on to say things that we commit to memory, like don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in faith, life, love, speech, and purity. Timothy's a young man in life and he's a young man in faith, but he's doing big things in the kingdom of God and in God's economy. Paul writes this letter to Philemon and to Philemon's family and to the local church. And you'll learn more as we go on throughout the coming weeks that what he's addressing are are borders of relationships. What he's addressing are borders of forgiveness and grace. What he's addressing are borders of generosity and how we present ourselves, which is why we've entitled this series Beyond Borders. There's a border or a boundary that the Apostle Paul is dealing with as he writes this letter to the church in Colossae. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. So this is, this is much bigger than their local circumstance. This is beyond borders. And I want to read this again verse by verse. And we're going to spend time investigating this together. This letter is from Paul, the Apostle Paul, who comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ on his road to Damascus, where he was a religious zealot, where he was a religious extreme. He was an extremist that had all the rights to go and convict, to condemn, to arrest, and even kill those who were following Jesus. And on his crusade, he comes to encounter Jesus. And as we know to be true at Country Bible Church, that when you encounter Jesus, your life is changed forever. The evidence in Paul's changed life is that he will become blind. He'll be led into straight street by his friends. There he'll wait for Ananias to come with the word from the Lord. These things like scales will fall from his eyes and he will surrender himself entirely to the word and to the work of Jesus. He moves from religious zealot and into an apostle, a spokesman, a leader in the church. The apostle Paul is in prison for his commitment to Christ. He's in prison because of his apostolic ministry. He's in prison because he doesn't have the freedom to preach the way he needs to. So Paul sets up this letter in a benediction that we'll get to in a minute. He said, this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news. Now, I want to say something about this. Paul uses this word prisoner both, uh, both uh, it's metaphoric and it's actual. He's actually in prison, in chains because of preaching the gospel, but metaphorically, he claims to have become a prisoner for Christ. What he's saying is that every one of us is going to be captive to someone or to something. And he's choosing to become captive, wholly captive, wholly surrendered, an indentured slave or a servant or a prisoner to Jesus. Well, you know that a prisoner answers to 
the warden or to the jailer. You know that a prisoner is under their rule and regulation. And Paul willingly becomes a prisoner to Christ, though unwillingly he's kept in chains in Rome unjustly. Paul says, I'm a prisoner for preaching the good news, the gospel message about Jesus Christ. And from our brother Timothy, he's saying that Timothy is a partner in ministry with me. There gives some credibility to his letter that Timothy is sending it or he's bringing it. And now he says, I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker. Let's talk about that for a moment. He's putting a title on their relationship. And the reason that I believe that Paul says our beloved co-worker is because this title comes with some responsibilities, some shared responsibilities. If you are in law enforcement, you are considered a, a brother in blue. And it doesn't matter what department you serve in or what part of the country or even what part of the world. If you are in law enforcement, you are a part of a greater brotherhood and you know that with that comes some common bond, some common unity, some common responsibilities. Paul is saying here that you are my coworker in Christ, which denotes that there are common bonds, common unities, and common responsibilities in the faith. Philemon is a leader in the local church. Philemon is a fellow brother in Christ who is doing the work of the ministry. He says, I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Apphia. Scholars believe that Apphia is most likely the wife of Philemon, which gives her a position in the church in that they're meeting in their home. So Apphia would need to do quite a bit to prepare the church meeting and to set the stage for them to gather. So she would have some responsibilities as well as some rights to Onesimus, which we'll talk about next week, who is a slave that has wronged Philemon and his family and has run away. He is a criminal on the run. He's a fugitive. So she would have something to say about that. He says, I'm writing this letter to Philemon, our beloved coworker, and to our sister Apphia, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus. Again, theologians believe that Archippus is actually the son of Philemon and of Apphia. You'll learn that Archippus is actually a leader in the local church because in Colossians chapter 4, specifically in verse 17, the apostle Paul writes to church in Colossae and he addresses these leaders by name, like Onesimus. So we know that this church has been established in Colossae, and we know through his writings that these are men that have accepted Jesus that are now active and leading in the local church. So what we're dealing with here are three church leaders that are very generous. They live in Colossae. They are doing tremendous things in the community, doing tremendous things in in ministry. They are wealthy landowners. And the Apostle Paul is writing to them to Philemon individually, to them as a family, and he says of Archippus that he is a fellow soldier. Now, we talked about how when he wrote to Philemon, he said a co-worker in Christ, and that there was some identity or some markers there that they could align with. The same is true of fellow soldier. This is where we get language from Paul in his other letters, like stand firm, like take up your, your, your battle armor, the, the armor of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the sword of the Spirit, feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He uses battle language, that they're battle ready. And he's saying, Archippus, you are doing the work of ministry, which comes at a cost. You've got to be prepared for it. It's a war. Ministry is a war. Most of us come to church, and we are, we are a bit absent-minded of the war that is being waged around us. We want 
We want the wins. We want the warm, the fuzzy. We want the highly relational. We want the quality ministry, the quality program. And I want those same things too. But it comes at a cost. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but that it is against the principalities and the dark forces of this world. That there is a spiritual battle going on. It's being waged for your soul and for mine. We are on battleground. We are on holy ground, but around us is a battle being waged. And I love that the Apostle Paul writes of Archippus, listen, you are a fellow soldier. We are brothers in arms. I've got your six. We're in this battle together. You're not alone. And so he writes not just to Philemon and his family, Apthia and his son, Archippus, but he writes this letter with the intention that Philemon will read it to the church and to the church that meets in your house, which we know to be the church in Colossae. Now he gives a traditional Pauline benediction. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you, grant you grace and peace. Karis kai irene. This is a prayer of blessing that he is bestowing upon Philemon. And it is the first of many prayers that we're going to read about here. Now, after setting the stage for this letter and for the For the recipient, Paul writes this letter around A.D. 60 to A.D. 62. We know that he's writing in prison in Rome. And now he's going to transition into the purpose or purposes of his writing. We need to examine kind of what is going on, but what the intentions are of this. And here is what the Apostle Paul says. Philemon, I always thank my God when I pray for you. Can there be a greater word of encouragement I always thank my God when I pray for you. Two things are said right here. Number one, you're in my heart, on my mind, and in my prayers. And number two, I'm grateful for you. You're in my heart, on my mind, and in my prayers. And the second thing is I'm grateful for you. Paul says in Romans 1.12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And I absolutely believe that one of the greatest acts of encouragement in the faith is that we stand with others through intercession, praying for them, encouraging them, spurring them on, letting them know that they're not alone. That's crucial to our ministry. It's crucial to our identity as followers of Jesus. I have a friend. He's in this service right now. I didn't get his permission, so I won't use his name. Last July, I came down with pneumonia. I tried to work through it. I had been battling a fever. I tried to stay as active as I could, but I was struggling. This friend of mine texted me, and he said, hey, do you mind if I come over and pray for you? And I said, no, man, that'd be great. Just know that I'm not feeling very well. He showed up and he said, I'm I'm not afraid of your germs. And he came and he said, brother, I'm going to anoint you with oil as James chapter five says. Are any among you sick? Bring them before the elders of the church. Let them know what's going on. Anoint them with oil, pray over them and the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And he said, here's the thing. I'm all out of anointing oil. So I got some cooking oil from the cupboard. I said, man, you, you, you do you. And he took this, this olive oil, vegetable oil, whatever it was, took the lid off, put it in his hands, and he went like this. Like, he wasn't just going to anoint me. He was going to bathe me in this stuff. 
And as I'm sitting there, he's doing this with his hand. He's like, brother, let's pray. And he puts his hand right on top of my bald head. And my family comes into the room and we start praying together. Church, I'm not exaggerating. Not 10 minutes after he left, my fever broke. I believe in an active God who works through miracles. Didn't we just sing about that? Didn't we just sing about how God is in the business of miracles? But on top of the physical miracle was the relational miracle. Knowing that someone was standing with me, praying for me, interceding on my behalf. How many of you, be honest, could use prayer this morning? Unapologetically, if you could use prayer this morning, raise your hand. Look around. You're not alone. If you didn't raise your hand, you just don't realize the kind of prayer you need. We all need prayer. We need each other. We're better together. And so I love that on the heels of this benediction, Paul starts off with, Philemon, every time I think about you, I pray for you. Every time I think about you, I always thank my God for you. Verse 4, I always thank my God when, not if, when. So crucial in the life of the believers Not if, when I pray for you, Philemon. Verse 5 tells him why. Because, and this is one of many reasons, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. There are two things that we have to talk about here. He said, I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. In today's society... This would not be an overwhelming feat with social media, with our bodies tethered to our smart devices and our phones, with the invention of email, with news media, all of it. We can transmit information in a hyperbolic nanosecond. I don't know how long it really takes, but it's fast. We can... We can talk to people seemingly face-to-face who are thousands of miles away. I did it this morning. My son is away this weekend, and he FaceTimed me this morning at 8 a.m. from Ohio. I was sitting there talking face-to-face with my son, though we are separated by hundreds of miles. We don't think twice about it because it's commonplace, The Apostle Paul says, I am absolutely blown away and encouraged by your faith that I keep hearing about. How would Paul hear about Philemon's faith? Where is Paul? He's in prison, which means he has to rely on visitors to come to him, to see him, to exchange conversation with him. He is wholly dependent on the world outside of him to come to him where he's at to bring him this news. And he says, Philemon, I keep hearing about your faith. I keep hearing about your faith in Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Let me show you on a map. Let me put this in some context for you. This is a map of Asia Minor. Right there is a purple arrow with two points The one on the far left is Italy or Rome, where Paul is imprisoned. The one on the far right of the arrow is Colossae. It's near Laodicea and Ephesus, Pisidia. You see that there? Church, that is 1,300 miles. 
between Rome, where Paul is imprisoned, and Colossae, where Philemon and his family have launched this church and this ministry. 1,300 miles for you and I to get into our vehicles and drive or to try to transverse. This kind of uh, 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 terrain would take us about 29 hours. We could fly that. There would be several stops because there's not a direct flight that I'm aware of as I researched it. It would take a better part of a day to fly there. Now put yourself nearly 2,000 years ago without your smart device, without your vehicle, without your airplanes, without the luxuries of travel, how long do you think it would take you to, tra- to travel from Colossae and make the journey to Rome? And notice that there is not a, a, a direct route. They would likely have to go down by Crete and hop over, over the Malta Island, or they'd have to bounce from island to island, going through multiple port cities, taking boats to get there. Can you and I agree that this is a significant journey that would be made in their day? So then, with this context in mind, let's read that again. Verse 4. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon. Verse 5. Because I keep hearing. It was not a one-off. It wasn't a, hey man, I heard through the grapevine the other day. This is a consistent word that keeps getting to Philemon. Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. I want to share this with you verbatim. It's going to come up on the screen. How about this? One's faith in Jesus will be evident for, by their love for others. One's faith in Jesus will be evident by their love for others. I keep hearing about your faith in Jesus and your love for others. What Paul is hearing is Paul is hearing about how Philemon is choosing to live his life. Paul is hearing how Philemon is living out his ministry. Paul is hearing about how generous generous he is with the, the things that he has, his house, his resources, his land, how generous he is relationally with the people around him, how generous he is in the context of their community. And it's making such a massive impact in their community of Colossae that people who continue to visit Paul, who keep coming to Paul over 1,300 miles to tell Paul about what's happening in Colossae. This is one of the most dynamic pieces of the Christian life is how our faith in Jesus impacts our love for others. This is called your Christian witness or our testimony. It is our story of how we respond to the gospel. If there is a narrative in scripture from Genesis to Revelation, their narrative is God cares for the underdog and that we are called to care for the orphans and the widows. That is the meta-narrative of the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. And when you see the Israelites struggling, it's likely because God is punishing them for taking advantage of others. God cares for the lost He cares for the marginalized, the misrepresented, the mistreated, and the misplaced. 
And he calls us as fully devoted followers of Jesus to give up all that we have to care for the marginalized, the misrepresented, the mistreated, and the misplaced. Our lifestyles are direct representation of whether or not we take Jesus at his word. How we speak, how we treat one another, how we engage the local church, how we respond to crises around us. These are all things that are indicative of our faith in Jesus. But the greatest representation of the tremendous example that Philemon is setting isn't his opulence. It isn't buying a bigger house so they can have a bigger church. It isn't buying more land. It is loving others. And it is making such an impact that Paul keeps hearing about it over and over and over and over again. May that be true of you and may that be true of me. I want to ask you to consider this morning. If you had to journal, if you had to write down in your diary, dear diary, and you had to answer this one question this morning, what does the way I live my life say about my faith in Jesus and my love for others? What would you write? What would you write? That's a pretty sobering question, isn't it? To wrestle with how you live your life, being the barometer for what you believe about Jesus and how you treat others is a pretty sobering question, but it's one that we all must wrestle with. The Bible screams of those who profess with their mouth that they love Jesus, but there will come a time, the Bible says, where he will separate, he will separate people like sheep from goats. It's a word picture for Shepherds who would go into a common pen and the sheep would know the shepherd by name or by voice. And as the shepherd would call out their names, they would come to him and there would be this separation. And Jesus says, there's going to come a time where I separate you like sheep and goats. And there are going to be those of you who say, Lord, Lord, we love you. And he says, no, no, no. Where were you when I was naked? Where were you when I was poor? Where were you when I was in prison? Where were you when I was sick? Where were you when I was the outcast and nobody came to me? Why weren't you there for me then? And they're going to say, Jesus, when did we ever see you naked or thirsty or in in need of anything? And he says, whatever you do for the least of these, it's as though you've done it for me. If you want to know how serious you take your faith, look at how you live your life and how you treat others. This is one of the most profound passages of the entire Bible. And I'm inspired by Philemon. As I read this and as I hear Paul call out to Philemon, I I praise God for you because I keep hearing about your faith. Church, may that be the miracle that is Country Bible Church. May that be the miracle that is our ministry. May that be the miracle that is our movement of God, where we take God at his word and we step out in obedience to be, not do, but be who God has called us to be. May we be known by our love in action. I am so encouraged by Philemon's testimony. 
Verse 5, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Verse 6, and I'm praying. Now, here's another prayer. This is the third prayer. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. This is what we know as progressive sanctification. That the more we know, the more we grow. The more that we grow, the more that we become. I want, I want you to do me a favor. It's not going to come up on the screens. Simple exercise. Put your thumb here and just flip a couple of chapters to your right. You're going to go past Hebrews and into James. And I want you to stop at James chapter 1. It's probably no more than five pages in your Bible. James chapter 1. And then hold your finger in James chapter 1. I want to show you something. James is the actual brother of Jesus. An early, an early adopter of the faith after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. One that had denied the sovereignty of God initially, who came to saving faith experientially, where he encountered Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, and he gives his life to the Lord, and he grows in his stature and in his knowledge and in his ministry. So Philemon says here, in verse 5, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Then in verse 6, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Two things. Let's look at James chapter 1 beginning in verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Now keep your finger in James. Flip back over to Philemon. James says, don't kid yourselves that you've got to be doers of the word and not just hearers. That head knowledge, head knowledge alone just puffs you up. But applied knowledge builds you up and edifies those around you. And we are called to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So James gives this expression and now Paul here in verse 6, and I am praying that you will put into action. Don't just hear what I'm saying. Do it. Don't just be passive cheerleaders from the side. Get in the game. Don't, don't just be passive. I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. We are called to put into action the things that we are learning, the things that we are growing in, in our faith. And he doesn't stop there. Then he says, and the, 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 the things that we understand and experience, all the good things we have in Christ. Where does it come from? In Christ. Flip back to James chapter 1, verse 17. Look at what James tells us about this. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So now go back to Philemon and check this out. In verse, in verse 5 and verse 6, he says, verse 6, And I am praying that you will put into action, be a, a doer of the word, not just to hear, the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift that we have comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. And what are we called to do with our gifts? Church, that's a question. What are we called to do with the things that Jesus gifts us, that the Holy Spirit gifts us? 
We are called not to store them up, not to hoard them, not to tuck them away where moths and, and, and rust can destroy them. We are called to be a generous generation. We are called to be a generous church. I would argue we are called to be a radically generous church with how we invest our time, how we invest our treasures, in other words, our money, and how we invest our talents, the things that God has uniquely gifted us. We are called to be radically generous. It is an expression of the gospel. It is a byproduct of who you and I are as fully devoted, maturing believers in Jesus. My friend and one of our leaders of this church last week, Kevin Barnhill, gave a brilliant message, one of the best messages I've heard in 22 years of ministry from anyone at any church on money. On money and on what we are called to as far as how we respond to our money, how we see our money, that it's not, that it's not a math problem, it's a heart issue, it's a heart problem. And he called us to consider this radical challenge against better judgment of Pastor Mark, our executive pastor who oversees the finances. He said, for the next three months, you give every single cent that God calls you to give. And if you aren't blessed, we'll give it all back. During the first service, he said, I'll write a check. During the third service, he said, we will write a check. Church. We are called to be faithful and obedient, to be good stewards, and to be radically generous with the gifts that God has given us. Every good and perfect gift that we have comes down to us as a gift from the Father of heavenly lights. The difference between us and anybody else who doesn't realize that is attribution. Most of the time we think that we're God, that we did it rather than acknowledging God and giving praise for what he's done. Because he alone is worthy of our praise. This is good. All we're doing is setting up culture and content. I didn't even start preaching yet. He had to come back next week. I praise God for what he's doing this morning. And I'm praying that you will put into action. I want to ask you this way. How are you putting into action your faith in Jesus by how you love others? How? How are you doing that? How are you doing that? What is one thing that you are doing to demonstrate your commitment to Christ in somebody else's life? As a church, as a church, I'm so excited about what God's doing here. And we're just getting started. Can I tell you, I'm gonna let y'all in on a little secret. We are so committed to meeting people's physical needs in an effort to introduce them to their real need for Jesus, that we have identified an epidemic, not just in our community, but globally. How many of you know that mental health is at an all-time high? The crisis is, is absolutely unparalleled to any other time in our world's history. As a direct response, we have begun to partner with some amazing people, formed a foundation, and we are going to launch in the new year a full-scale, the first full-scale Christian counseling center that Washington County has ever seen. (laughs) 
two reasons, because a lot of what we deal with is way above my pay grade. (laughs) And number two, because we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus by giving Christian counseling to a world in need. You're going to hear more about this in the days and the weeks and the months to come. But church, I don't know. I'm having a hard time not getting emotional. I don't know that there's ever been an initiative in 22 years of my ministry that I've ever been more excited about. We have a host of counselors that we're partnering with that are going to be on site. And again, we'll share more details later. As a church, we are working really hard to live out our faith by how we love others. And I, 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 I don't have enough time to share with you all the, the metrics of how that looks right now, but man, I'm so blessed to be your pastor. I'm so grateful to get to be a part of God's hand moving throughout this church and throughout this community. And I believe that as we continue to be obedient by demonstrating our faith in Jesus through how we love others, we're going to have to go to four services and five services and six services, and we're just going to keep adding chairs and services until everybody that we can possibly reach has been reached with the, with the word of Jesus. Verse, verse 7 is pretty, pretty weird. Paul writes in verse 7, Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Your love has given me joy and comfort because it's refreshed not only my heart, but the heart of God's people. Joy and comfort. Joy and comfort. When we think about joy and comfort, we think about... We think about emotions, to be filled with joy as an emotion. It's an overwhelming sense of happiness. And we think about comfort. I'll give you an example. My son was, and you have not only my permission, my encouragement to give him a really bad time when he comes back this week. He was at the Ohio State football game yesterday. I was watching part of the Ohio State football game with a space heater on in my warm house in the confines of my sunroom on a couch with an ottoman and food. My son was in negative temperatures and he said, no matter what I put on, I couldn't again, I, I couldn't get warm, so we left at halftime. <laughs> he was, the, well, there was like 52 to nothing at halftime anyway, but <laughs> he was sitting, what, 15 rows off the field <laughs> and he wasn't comfortable. I was watching the game from my house, which is warm and, and cozy. I don't know, how many of you would much rather watch a Nebraska game in your house than at Memorial College? All right, whatever. That's just a random straw poll. I don't have any reason to ask you that. <laughs> Where I'm going with this is when we think about joy and comfort, we think about a, a fullness of emotion, and we think about being content, don't we? All of our needs are met. We're content. We want for nothing. We worry for nothing because we're comfortable. How many of us live our lives with every hope and expectation of achieving joy and comfort? That's what we do. We invest in joy and comfort. We spend for joy and comfort. We save for joy and comfort. We build for joy and comfort. We we, we do everything that we do because we want to be filled with joy and we want to know comfort in our lives. 
The problem with that is we've got that misunderstood. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles of many time, of kinds, but take heart. I've overcome the world. The apostle Paul is writing about joy and comfort socked away in prison in Rome. It is not based on any circumstance, this joy that he has or the comfort. His joy and his comfort comes from his saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is more than anything that he's ever been able to buy or do or create or build or barter for. This joy and this comfort that Paul speaks of is only possible. It is only possible. This joy is not an emotion. It is a state of being. This comfort isn't about physical needs. It is being comfortable in Christ. And it is only available to those who have become fully surrendered to Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And I would challenge you this morning, if you are here and you are struggling with your joy quotient, and if you are here this morning and you are struggling with being comfortable enough, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, I would, I would argue one of two things. Either you've lost sight of the completeness of Christ or you've never given your life to Jesus. And there's no shame for either one of those. But there is opportunity. There is opportunity. There is opportunity for you to respond today. It is available for each and every soul in this room for us to know the fullness of this joy, this intrinsic joy, and this comfort that comes from Christ and him alone. He will meet every need you have according to his riches and glory. Ours is the responsibility to surrender and to submit, to surrender to him and submit to his word, to his will, and to his way. Two thoughts as we close. Number one. I thank my God for you every time I pray for you because I he, he keep hearing about your faith in Jesus and your love for all of God's people, Philemon. That's what's said of Philemon's life and his investment in others. What can be said about your testimony? What can be said about the way you live your life and live out of your faith? And number two, do you know joy and comfort this morning? Joy unspeakable, and a comfort unquestionable. Do you know joy and comfort this morning? For those of us that call ourselves fully, de fully devoted followers of Jesus, let us walk out of here challenged and motivated to once again surrender our lives fully to Jesus and be cognizant and aware and intentional of what we say and how we treat other people and what we do with the resources that God, every good and perfect gift comes down from God what we do with the gifts that God has given us. Let us be more than hearers of the word. Let us be doers of the word. And for those of us this morning that do not know joy and do not know comfort, may today be the day that you encounter Christ and your life is changed forever. Would you stand with me and allow me to pray with you? We're gonna do something right now that I feel compelled to do. I need my uh, staff and my elders. I need you guys to spread out throughout the room on the, against the wall, spread out. If you're a part of the prayer team, spread out. 
You know, some up here, some over there. Alicia's back there. I see Ron, one of our elders. Brooke, thank you. Pastor Glenn, thank you. Kevin, thank you. Steve, good. Keep, keep spreading out. Becky, thank you. Steve, Jeannie, thank you. I'm not going to let you guys leave without the opportunity to meet somebody with prayer. We talked about it. He says, Philemon, I'm praying for you. And we talked about one of the greatest gifts that we have as believers is that we can be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And one of the ways that we do that is by interceding over one another. I told you, I said, one of my friends is even here in this room and he came with olive oil, cooking oil and, 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 and laid hands on me and prayed with me. And it's just incredible this morning. If you need prayer, if you want prayer as Pastor Austin and the worship team lead us in this song, I want to challenge you. I want to implore you. I want to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone, get out of your seat, get out out of your own way and find somebody who's lining the walls right now and go pray with them. Go pray with them. Go pray with them. Let me encourage you to close your eyes and just reflect for a second. I feel like I, I just feel like I, I need to ask this question because the opportunity Jesus has presented. And so I'm going to ask you if you know joy and comfort this morning. If you've never experienced joy and comfort because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, friend, don't walk out of here this morning without giving your life to the glory of God, without acknowledging your brokenness, asking God to forgive you and putting your faith in Jesus alone. I want to know you. I want to, I want to celebrate with you the greatest gift that God has given us, which is salvation. So this morning, if you are here this morning, you say, Pastor, I am struggling. I've never known joy and I've never known comfort because I've never given my life fully to Jesus. I want to encourage you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand so I can pray for you. I want to pray for you right now. Amen. 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 Praise God. I saw at least one hand go up. For others, if you have, if you've been distant, let today be the day that you come home running. I'm going to pray and then I want to encourage you to pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I'm going to pray that you would redeem it and use it for your good and your glory and for the edifying of your body. I pray that you would be the cement that binds these things to our hearts and that you would motivate us and move us to live out in action what we've heard today. And all for your glory. God, I pray that as we live out our faith in you through our love to others, that this community would never be the same. Give us favor as a body of believers. Give us favor as a church as we look, as we look to actively and intentionally love those around us. In the name of Jesus.